0: When you play chess, the computer knows, everything I see is all there is to see. Now, if you think about driving in the real world, that's really hard to do.
1: This is Living in the Future. A podcast powered by MediaTek that tells the story of technology that's leapt off the TV screen, transformed from fantastical cinematic science fiction to actual products that change the way we live and work. I'm your host, Michael Fisher, and this is Episode 2, Will Cars Ever Learn to Drive Themselves? The first time I saw a car drive itself in a movie, I was probably seven years old, and it was a movie I wasn't supposed to be watching. Yet some TV network was airing Total Recall, and my first exposure to Arnold Schwarzenegger was also my first exposure to the phrase, sue me, and the pejorative that followed it. More importantly, it was the first time I ever saw a robot drive a human around. Self-driving taxis called Johnny Cabs are common in the film's fictitious future world of 2084, and they seem to work pretty well unless they're riddled with bullets and torn apart by a bodybuilder, at which point, like all good movie props, they explode spectacularly. But while the Johnny Cab wasn't meant to be taken all that seriously, the Lexus of 2054 certainly was. The 2002 Tom Cruise film Minority Report featured beautifully designed custom cars that were built and driven autonomously on highways that scaled buildings as easily as they spanned cities. It was this concept of mobility, shot in all its Spielbergian glory, that stuck in my head 20 years ago and began to convince me that, hey, a car that could drive itself might actually come to market by the time I became too old to do the driving safely myself. Well, now it's the early 2020s, of course, and while automakers like Tesla have been promising so-called full self-driving since 2016 or so, We're still nowhere close to seeing that prediction materialize. Yet at the same time, there are actually several cities in the US where you really can, right now, call a Johnny Cab of sorts and have a robot drive you to your destination. That's a strange state of affairs, and I wanted to talk to someone with enough experience covering the landscape to give us all sides of it. That's Ed Niedermeyer, and we'll learn a lot from him Right after I remind you that this podcast is sponsored by MediaTek, driving automotive innovation forward with 4G and 5G telematic solutions for the next generation of connected vehicles. Whether you're a driver or a passenger, downloading driving directions, making a call, streaming the latest road trip tunes, or staying online some other way, MediaTek telematics keep you connected wherever you're off to next. Thanks to MediaTek for sponsoring this podcast. Edward Niedermeyer is the co-host of the Autonocast, a podcast about the latest in transportation technology. He's also the author of *Ludicrous: the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors, and he's an expert in mobility innovation. Ed, Welcome to the future.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for being here. Now, I was gonna ask when you know when autonomous self-driving cars were finally gonna arrive, but by some measures, it, it's already kind of a thing, isn't it? I mean We have Cruise, a fully owned subsidiary of General Motors already offering driverless taxi service in San Francisco, Austin, and Phoenix. We've got Waymo owned by Google Parent Company Alphabet, providing its own, driverless taxis, also in Phoenix and San Francisco. And in some areas, and I'm an idiot because I didn't remember this, you can actually get an Uber or Lyft that's driven by a robot. And I'm an idiot because I've been in one of them. I just forgot. There was a CES in Las Vegas and there was a safety observer in the car, but it was still pretty cool to get driven around by a robot. So at the risk of starting with the last question first, do you feel like self-driving cars are an inevitability given where we're already at?
0: Yeah um I mean it's a fascinating question and and what's fascinating is it's a question we've been talking about on my podcast for years now um, and it never seems to go away and and in recent years I think one of the things that's really jumped out to me as I've as I've kind of started to ask myself why do we keep asking us, uh, ourselves this question of like when are self-driving cars going to be a thing and I think the answer that I've come to is that you know when we say the word self-driving car like we think of a car and a car for us you know we we buy it we own it it does everything that we expect you know to to need out of a mobility device right it's our it's our do it all mobility device sure and and so i think that frames how we think about this technology right that's the the model that we're expecting this technology to reach um is is can we automate all of the driving that that you know we would do in our cars, and I think that is is still a far you know ways off. And I think that's one of the reasons that people get a little disappointed by this technology sometimes is that that's the standard they're holding it to. So I think if you let go of the self driving car idea, um, and and as you say, sort of look out in the in the world, you have robo taxis um, are are out there on public roads. You have deliveries. You know vehicles of different sizes, from sidewalks to bike lanes to to on the road. You know car sized mm-hmm. vehicles. You have semi trucks all over the uh, the southern part of the United States now, uh, doing deliveries in Texas and, and Arizona and places like that. Wait, without so, drivers? Uh, so with safety operators, but but you know with a, a, a an automated driving system is doing the, the actual driving. Wow,
1: I did not know that at all. <laughs> so yeah, and then I heard you you've talked on the cast about um, what like autonomous forklifts and stuff even as well,
0: right? Yeah. yeah yeah, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that that you know, we're starting to understand now um with this technology. It's been fascinating because the technology is developing really fast. But our understanding of it, believe it or not, is is continually developing alongside it. and And what we're realizing is, Rather than thinking about these as cars, it's probably a good way to th- uh, to think about them as as robots instead, hmm. right? Because again, a car, whether you're going you know a mile in your neighborhood or you're going a thousand miles, you know, you, you jump in your car, you go. It's one device that that takes care of all of your mobility needs. And a robot um, is something where you you're actually automating an individual task, right?
1: Yeah, there's there's a company in fact that's that's we're going to talk about in a second that that actually allows you to bring certain of these features that we're going to talk about. To a a, a different car, if I'm not mistaken. But before we get there, I want to ask: There's to your point about you know how we think about this. We we call it self-driving, or some of us call it self-driving, but it's actually a cocktail of a bunch of different technologies, right? They're all working together to give us this thing that we perceive as autopilot or self-driving. And then, furthermore. This is not going to be dry, folks, I swear, but we have to understand this. Furthermore, it's divided into levels based on its capability. So... Just can you give us that like 10,000 foot view real quick? Like what technologies go into what we call self-driving and how do we organize them into levels?
0: The tendency is you see a car where the wheel is moving itself and it's accelerating by itself and it's braking by itself. And we just think those are the things that I'm doing when I drive and therefore this thing is driving itself. Mm-hmm. And in reality, when we drive, we do so many things that we're not even conscious of. Right. And I think a lot of that is sort of in you know understanding the road around us who are the other vehicles what are they doing even predicting in our minds where they're going to go next and 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 deciding how to navigate through that scene uh you know based on not only where they are right now but where they're going so sure. To do that, um, you know, these systems need a number of things, right? They need to be able to perceive the world around them. Right. Right. And this is where this, the sensors come in. And so when you see the first thing I think you recognize when you see a, an automated vehicle on the road is is the sensors, usually LIDAR sensors, laser scanners. How does
1: the, how does that manifest in the physical world? The LIDAR thing like sits on top of the car. That's that big radome looking thing on top of the car, right? With a black window in it, usually.
0: That's the long range LIDAR. OK. Um, and so that's giving you a really precise long range uh, uh, picture of the world, um, and, uh, it's, it's very, very precise. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of taking care of the really, really long range stuff so that, you know, you know, when vehicles are coming at sort of a, you know, really fast closing speed, you, you see them far away enough that you can make good decisions. Um, and then uh, on top of that, you have, you know, oftentimes sort of medium and shorter range LIDAR, uh, as well, which are these laser, uh, laser scanners. Um, then you have radar. Um, as well, uh, which has been in cars for, you know, automated emergency braking and things like that for a while.
1: I remember it uh, back in the 90s, a guy used to come into my restaurant that I worked at and he was bragging about his BMW and he told me it had radar it. and I'm like, where did where? And it was, you know, behind the radiator grill or something. I'm like, cool. So yeah, like LIDAR, radar, that's for m- medium range.
0: Yeah. And then cameras and, and, you know, lots and lots of cameras. And You know, these those are the three main sensor modalities. You also have things like um, like thermal imaging, which a lot of companies are 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 looking into or or starting to use. You also have things like audio. A microphone is a sensor in a way that tells you things about the world around you. Interesting. Uh, If if a if a car needs to know that um, there's a, a an emergency vehicle behind them, you can recognize that with a camera, oh. but you can also hear the siren. Um, sure. And in some cases, you can't see it, and so you need to be able to hear it.
1: And then you've got those little ultrasonic things, right? The little things that are about the size of a quarter. There's like usually eight or nine of them around the perimeter of a car.
0: Yep. And those are for very low speed uh, maneuvering for the most part. Um, okay. But but in general, you know, each of these uh, sensors is um, you know has different strengths and weaknesses. Right. And so, you know, some of them are more expensive. Some of them are cheaper. Some of them are better for longer range. Some are better for shorter range. Some are better at night. Some are better at the daytime. Some are. And and so like cameras, you know, are are really flexible um, for using, um, you know, different kinds of artificial intelligence to recognize, Mm -hmm. you know, um, signs and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it's also because it uses artificial intelligence. It's used it's doing what's called inference, or or sort of making guesses. And whereas you know, with a lidar or a radar, it's what you call a more deterministic sensor. So it knows that there's definitely something there. Whereas- there's
1: definitely an object, right? Whereas a camera has to has to decide what that object is yes. by putting it through some AI. Right. I remember it, just a uh, quick aside. I the first time I got behind a, the wheel of a of a Tesla, it was the first you know, kind of very smart car I had ever driven. And uh, I saw the speed limit the of the zone I was currently in, you know, in the cluster. Uh, speed limit, 35 miles an hour or whatever. And I was like, oh, does it just grab that information from maps? And whoever was letting me borrow the car was like, no, it's actually reading the uh, the speed limit signs <laughs> with the cameras. And I, it, this is like 2016. It absolutely blew me away. I was like, wow.
0: God, cool. Yeah, God. so you have the these different sensors that are getting different kinds of information, and some of it is more, you know, precisely accurate, and and others are like cameras. It, it can interpret a wider variety of things, but it has certain weaknesses, and and. One of the pieces that's so important of, of designing one of these systems is that you architect all of these different sensors together so that the strengths sort of cover the weaknesses. So the strengths of one mm. sensor modality cover the weaknesses of another, cover another. And so you get not just redundancy, which I think everyone's familiar with that term of, of redundant sensors, where if yes. one sensor goes out, there's some, there's another there's one. That, yeah. yeah. But then also diversity right? Um, is something that people don't hear about it as much.
1: It's like if you envision uh, all the different sensors as circles in a Venn diagram or like a really weird Venn diagram. There's the, in those overlapping sectors, it's not just redundancy, but there's more information as a result of the sensors combining their, their information, right?
0: That's right. And then for example, at nighttime where a camera is not going to be able to see as well, you know, that's where a, a radar sensor and a LIDAR sensor are going to have advantages. Um, and then with different kinds of tasks, you know, one sense will be better than the other. And, 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 that really really rich and this is where a lot of the cost of, of an autonomous vehicle comes from is 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 all of these you know cutting edge sensors and the reason you need that is because you know fundamentally you know all of those sensors are are, are routing data to comp- a computer essentially right like mm-hmm. a, you know software that that interprets and understands what's going on in the world around it right and yes. essentially it's like build almost like building a model you know inside you know in a computer Um, From all that, all that, you know, uh, data and then understanding, okay, here are the different actors. You know, this actor looks like a minivan. This one looks like a guy on a motorcycle, this guy. And, and then, and then having to run prediction, like, like not only understand what they are, but then be able to understand, okay, you know, what is it capable of doing? What is it Mm -hmm. likely to do in the future? And, and sort of build this model and then, and then decide how to move through it.
1: I saw that in person at another CES, actually, in Las Vegas. I was the guest of Mercedes one year, and they took me for a drive in one of their autonomous, uh, you know, demo vehicles. And we, you know, they had rigged up this monitor on the dash, and I was the passenger. And I got to see uh, kind of an interpolated output of what the computer was was deciding about different things it saw. And I will always remember some somebody crossing the street in a crosswalk up ahead of us, And I saw on the monitor this kind of wireframe of a human skeleton and they were pushing a shopping cart. You could see all that. But in the computer vision, and it was about 10 times a second making new decisions about the predicted path of that walking person. It was absolutely, absolutely wild. Yeah. So I take your point about all these data feeds coming together and, and then, you know, coming into a computer and having to, that's where the decisions ultimately happen, right? When you're closing on one of these targets and you're like, uh-oh, or what did you call them? Not targets. <laughs> that would be a very bad term.
0: Uh, actors. Yeah, actors, is, is, yeah. Is sort of generally how you, uh, or agents, you can call Got them. It. You know, it's really important to understand because, you know, you're using artificial intelligence and and, and artificial intelligence is at the heart of these systems. And I think it's, it's one of the hardest technologies to explain to, to the general public, um, mm-hmm just because there's so many different aspects to it and everything. But I think fundamentally, and, and, and also because there's just all this hype and it's so hard to tell, you know, what's real and what's not when it comes to AI. And I think one of the ways that that helps sort of clarify all this is to think about where are the areas that we know that AI can beat humans, like that can perform higher than humans. And one of them is games like Go and chess. And in a sure. way, driving, you could think of it as a complex game in, in a similar sense to, to Go or chess, Right. But the difference mm-hmm. is, is that when you play chess um you have perfect knowledge or go uh, of you, both you and the computer the ai that you're you're playing against have perfect knowledge about the board where the game is being played. You can see all the pieces of course. You see all the pieces and you know, you know this piece can only move here, this piece can only move here. You have so, so you can sort of reduce down the total possibilities. There may be millions, literally millions of of, of possibilities. But that complexity is not unconstrained. It, it has some bounding on it. And, and the computer knows everything I see is all there is to see. Now, right. if you think about driving in the real world, that's really hard to do, it's
1: right? It's the opposite. Yeah. No, I mean, you don't know what's around the next corner. You don't know who's what what any other player on the board is gonna do. You don't even know what the board looks like beyond a certain distance.
0: Yeah. And 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 one of the cool things is, you know, these A V companies sometimes will show videos of the things that they see when they're out testing. And it's crazy. People in a guy in a wheelchair chasing a turkey and like just the, the most <laughs> random possible things you can imagine. And it, it illustrates, right. How hard this is, even for an AI that can cream any human on the planet, a game like chess or Go, will still really struggle with driving because there's so much unbounded complexity. And so you need those sensors Mm -hmm. to to give that AI as much information about the game, quote unquote, that it's playing uh, so it can make the best possible decision. That
1: makes a lot of sense. The more sensors, the better is the kind of uh the kind of short version of that I'm hearing and I, I think that'll come up again in a second because somebody's made a very odd decision. but before we get to that <laughs> um on the Autocast, you refer to the year 2017 as peak a v and I'd like to just flesh out the timeline a little bit for people because I certainly became first became aware that cars like self-driving cars might not be fiction anymore in like 2016 and that's because I started for a brief time covering Tesla um can you can you pinpoint the moment where where it first started to look like that to a lot of other people too where where the kind of mass market was waking up to this thing it was like wait that's gonna happen?
0: Cars are gonna drive themselves? Was it about then, 2015 to 16, do you remember? Yeah, so so I'll give you a little bit of the history because what, what happened Please. was, you know, so there was the, um, so for a long time, right, self-driving cars have been something that people have imagined. I mean, you go back even to, there's a great book um, uh, by a by a Stanford uh, classicist, uh, even back to the ancient Greek myths, people were dreaming and imagining self-driving vehicles, right, boats that could drive wow. themselves and chariots that could drive themselves. So, so it's mm-hmm. something we've always kind of imagined. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the first part of the 20th century when the auto industry was, was, you know, they, they imagined someday these cars will drive themselves. And the approach was always, we're going to put sensors in the roadways and in all the cars. And all these sensors will just talk to each other. And basically you'll create a system where Uh everything is talking to each other. Um, and that's going to keep things from crashing into each other. That was the main approach to this technology for the better part of the 20th century. And it wasn't until the DARPA challenges um, in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s, you know, which, Defense which was, Advanced
1: Research Projects Agency.
0: It was the military, right? yeah. So yep. it was when, um, following the Iraq and the uh, and the Afghanistan, uh, uh, you know, conflicts or, or during them, you know, when you started to have convoys get attacked, right? The, the 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 where Americans were taking losses were not in battle so much, especially in some of the early days of the Iraq War, uh, but the convoys were getting targeted. It was an asymmetric warfare thing, and and Defense Department was really interested in the technologies. You know, the possibility of, of having you know big trucks and, and and logistics lines you know automated so that mm-hmm. so that soldiers weren't in harm's way um, uh, sure. to those kinds of attacks. And so they funded these prizes. And sure enough, there'd been all this development in artificial intelligence, computer vision, and even the invention of of lidar, you know, for this use case and 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 that all came together in, in DARPA. And what's important to understand is that this was a new approach because for the first time they were developing a system, Again, because it w- had to be for military use, you couldn't rely on roads having sensors in them. You know no. where the military is going. There's not going to be perfect. You know, sen- you know, roadways, right. smooth roadways. Don't have with-
1: control over the terrain at all. Yeah, yeah No. yeah.
0: So there has to be totally, um, you know, infrastructure agnostic is is what they call it. That was where sort of all of this technology really started to come together, and our understanding of what these systems l- should look like and the technologies that should go into them came together. And, and essentially, what happened was Google, you know, following those. There were a number of these of these challenges, and and like the progress was just amazing. Like a couple of years would go by, and they'd go from you know, you'd get maybe a couple of these vehicles could go like a mile or something to like completing the whole course in this real competition. And so. Wow. So Google brought in a lot of the sort of big stars from that that competition and started developing in-house. And around 2013, 2014 was the first time that they started to show the world hey, we've been doing this work. Hey, we're, you know, making some progress. Here's a little bit about it. Here's that. I don't know if you remember the the Firefly car, the one that looked like a cute little koala. I think they showed that in in 2014. Don't remember that. No,
1: I'm sad that I missed it.
0: Yeah. So it was the first time that, and Google was really the only company that was sort of self-funding this kind of, you know, research.
1: Yeah, but Google at the time, though, you couldn't, I don't want to say you couldn't trust Google, but like you couldn't, rely upon Google to follow through at that time. They were always coming up with these pie-in-the-sky ideas, and it was cool to see, but you never, you know, I, I, even as late as 2018 or something, I think after, the, after they converted to Waymo, like, you'd look at these cars, and it was like, oh, this isn't, I'm not going to see this on the road. It was a very different feeling than the one you got, you know, you would eventually get from a from a Tesla Model S, where it's like, oh, this is actually a real car, and it can do some wild things, right? So, Back in the, the 2014 time frame, I would have forgiven anyone for not taking Google terribly seriously in this regard.
0: At the same time, you know, I think they did their first fully driverless ride in, on a public road. And I think it was about 2015, I want to say, in Austin. They did a one-off. They had a, God, a, really? a, a blind gentleman, gave him a ride across town um, in, wow. in one of these little koala cars. And, you know, and I think what happened here it, it was is really important because I think you know people saw there other people in the silicon valley sort of ecosystem venture capitalists and the like they they got these glimpses of what google was doing and they saw for example cars on public roads driving themselves and i think this has been one of the the really fascinating things about this period that that you know we've been in is that again and again very smart people you know some of the 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 most technologically savvy people it's our it's the understanding of cars that makes things Go wrong that that makes them not really understand. I think what happened was, you know, again, you see the car doing the parts of the driving task that we do very consciously, mm-hmm. you know, turning the steering wheel, putting the accelerator, hitting the brakes. They see it doing those things, and 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 they see a demonstration or or even just like a short, you know, a video clip of it on public roads, and they think this is it. It's done, and yeah. and and I think and and so essentially what happened to, to continue the history is that. You know, I think a lot of venture capitalists and and others thought, "Hey, Google's way farther on this than they actually were." As it turns yeah. as it turns out, <laughs> I think people got freaked out and they thought, "Wow, first of all, Google's showing this is possible, but second of all, if they're the only ones developing it, and Google has a monopoly on cars as well as on the internet, you know, and search searching the internet, right? They'll be so powerful, we have to." Compete in this as well. Someone, someone else has to compete with Google on this. And a number of people came out of the Google self-driving program, founded their own companies, got huge amounts of investment. These companies very quickly became worth billions and billions of dollars. A lot of them ended up getting sold to car companies. Yeah. Um. And and I think what sort of and and you know now we're in this weird spot where you know one of them, Argo AI, just kind of uh, just went under. You know, a number yeah, of them. Yeah, I am going to mention are, them
1: in a second for are sure. Doing
0: layoffs and you know i think it's very tempting for a lot of people to think like oh this technology was all a, a scam or or that it wasn't really real or or whatever else and for me i think what's what's really been fascinating is to understand that like a that the technology has come it is real that it's come really really far that that even now when people are pessimistic it's much farther than it was when people were, thought it was right around the corner
1: well apparently because you can literally like, this isn't it's not testbed stuff anymore like I had no idea that you could actually pay money and be driven by a driverless vehicle right now in what's in San francisco and phoenix right yeah and and austin uh so I mean that's it, it absolutely no question about it it's further along than it's ever been apparently it's far far enough along to have been safely you know allowed on the streets by by regulators in one of the nation's most heavily regulated states right so That's great. How can you be at all? I'm jumping ahead again, but how can you how can you be pessimistic about that when about this entire field when that's the state of things right now?
0: Well, and it's because it's because, you know, we're comparing it to cars. Right. Mm. And and again, with with when you when you make a robot, you don't make a robot to do a bunch of things like we don't have general purpose robots. When when you automate something, you automate a task. Right. And and so and, and the way automation works Of all kinds is you start with simple tasks in constrained domains. So, you know, people might say, "Well, we don't, you know, we don't have uh, you know C-3PO walking around and talking and doing general general purpose tasks." That doesn't mean robots don't exist. Robots make Mm. millions of dollars in value every minute around the world. But it's like they're mostly an arm with a tool on it in a cage. And I think this is how people need to start thinking about this technology: is that these are not cars; these are robots. And that essentially automation is a spectrum and that you start, you know, again, with an arm and a tool in a cage or whatever the driving equivalent of that is. And, and we've had autonomous shuttles, um, you know, on college campuses, at airports, yeah. things like that.
1: The the plane
0: train at uh, Atlanta. Yeah, right. There's no driver on those things. You just go. And it but it's on a constrained domain. It doesn't have to deal with random rates So going back to that that board game thing. If you mm-hmm. create a driving game where you can limit the complexity, right? You you know we have walls on either side of this route. It's just gonna drive this one route back and forth. We we'll put walls on either side. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only so much randomness can get in here. The technology is more than capable of of something like that. And and now it's slowly getting to the point where you can even say, we can automate a taxi within a large chunk of a city. So so that shows you right if if you think of the very very simplest driving task at one end at, uh, of the spectrum you know we're already past the point of you know it's not just fixed routes it's not just domains roads where it's blocked off from other traffic we're talking about public roads other kinds of traffic, and and literally saying, you know, this taxi is going to operate within this chunk of the city and anywhere within that chunk, you can hail it and be taken to somewhere else within that chunk. That shows you how far along the spectrum of automation this technology is. Now, we're still, but but the problem is we're still not at the point where you can just have this vehicle. And again, if you're going one mile or a thousand miles, you get into it and it's that one vehicle can automate all that driving. That's what we're measuring it up against and that's why we, we're we still disappointed, or at least some of us are.
1: That makes uh, an awful lot of sense. The, the analogy of the game board is particularly useful when you're talking about the San Francisco example, the Phoenix example. Those are very, well, they're large areas, but they are still finite. They're limited.
0: Yes. Again, for, for the artificial intelligence to work, right, you do. You have to constrain the problem area in addition mm-hmm. to giving as much information as you can about that about that board. So again, so like if you have a chessboard that's a million rows by a million columns, right? That's going to be a much more complex game than than the standard <laughs> yeah. one. And offhand, I don't even know how many rows yeah, of columns it is. Yeah, I was going
1: to say, how many were that? Yeah. <laughs>
0: but again, like if you want to think about how this technology is going to evolve, it's starting with, you know, those smaller chess boards. And over time, that chessboard just gets bigger and bigger.
1: Bigger and bigger over time. Now, what's, we, we've been thinking about, or at least all of my experience with um, cars with ADAS, uh, which is what uh a, Advanced driver driver assistance systems. Advanced driver assistance systems. All the cars that I've, you know, experienced those systems on have had them integrated. Right? It's like you know, Mercedes builds one, Tesla builds one, and it's it's they're features of the car. Can you explain to me what Comma is? Because it's kind of I haven't decoded it yet. It's you can kind of pick the car you want and graft driver assistant features onto it. Can you explain that real quick? Comma is the name of the company, right?
0: Yeah, Kama. Um, yeah. So they've, they've been around for a while. Um, they sort of the basic concept with Kama is that they take vehicles that already have some form of driver assistance systems on them. OK. Right. And and so they already have, you know, a camera, for example, to to perform some basic uh, ADAS functions. And, and I think in all the ones that they do, they also have to have a radar as well. And, okay. you know, we now live in a world where the majority i think of of new cars have you know it's a camera standard. and a radar yeah the yeah, costs yeah. Have, have really come down on those on those on the the basic versions of those sensors right uh okay. they're not all created equal so so what they do is is they take those sensors and they run their own software on a phone that sort of delivers a a higher level of automation using the sensors that come with that vehicle.
1: So it uses the same data that the car's onboard intelligence would use. It uses the same sensors from the car, but it just processes it through a different method. Is it literally like an app on an iPhone or an Android phone? Like?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's actually open source software. So so when they first came out, when when Kama was first sort of developing this this product, they they were going to release it as like a regular product that you just go out and buy. And NHTSA, the <laughs> safety regulator, was sent them a letter and said, We we have some questions about this. They didn't they didn't prevent them from doing it. There was no, it was just we have some questions about this. And rather than deal with all that regulatory stuff, which is a whole can of worms, um, you know, comma chose to, to kind of split this up and they said, we'll sell you the hardware, this phone that you sort of plug your car into. Um, and uh, and then the software, you have to get it separately as like an open source project. So Interesting. Which I think is a good idea because I think, you know, you want people with this more highly automated systems to be a little bit more savvy. Um, sure. Because I think one of the risks that people don't understand about, about ADAS in particular is that when you add more automation, but you're not, that automation is not good enough where the human can just not pay attention anymore. Mm-hmm. What happens is the human tends to not pay attention anyway, even yeah. if they, even if no matter how many times you tell them, right? Uh, you know, you have to pay attention. If If you're doing most of the task, it, and we've known this for a century, humans will start to not pay attention. And that's yeah. dangerous because when you're driving, as you know, it's a lot of periods of boredom. And then those moments where you have to be there and it's life or death. I
1: will never forget the first time a Tesla threw the controls back to me right at a hairpin. Like it was a really if I had not been paying attention, I would have been in the field, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And 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 I think one of the one of my concerns about this technology um, is that, you know, when you put all these sort of more automated ADAS in the hands of, of general consumers, like even Tesla owners, I think are, are generally a little bit more sophisticated about uh, some of these issues. I think mm-hmm. if you get to the world where you know, these really kind of highly automated ADAS systems that, that are, again, at no point does the manufacturer take liability for, for it, right? It,
1: right. Because there's uh, always that line in the thing. It's like, you are still the driver, you are still responsible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, at scale, the the, the human factor risks there are are very real. And I think that's one of the, the things we have to be careful, in part because, again, just people have this very well-documented tendency to see a car whose steering wheel moves on on its own and just say, like, that's it. Oh, it's it's self-driving. Right. Like it's got it. it. Doesn't matter what they say. <laughs> They're just telling me, you know, these things for legal reasons. But I can right. tell. I see it. It's self-driving. And then they treat it like it's self-driving, and and bad things happen.
1: Of course. Uh, speaking of human factors, whenever I I rent a car with an ADAS system in it, I you know drive it to my family's house, and I, it spawns conversations with uh, some of the older members of my family, right, who insist that they would never trust a robo car. As much as they trust human drivers, which of course it's very funny to me because it's like the government reports attribute well over ninety percent of crashes to human error. So you know, I, I try to remind them. I'm like, a robo is not going to get drunk, but you know, that's a that's a whole different argument. But <laughs> the the reality is that we are at this moment very far from a world where driverless cars are, you know, safe, um, at least a hundred percent safe. Like the uh, cruise had a crash in June 2022 this year with the traffic intersection, did a left turn, minor injuries. Waymo had a crash in October where it stopped suddenly in the middle of the road. In April, a cruise vehicle, I guess, blocked a fire truck in San Francisco and delayed its response to a fire. And then there's these, you know, these really well-publicized cases where people unfortunately die. You've got the self-driving Uber that killed a pedestrian in 2018. And I think I read this right, although it did surprise me. Over 10 crashes in 2022 alone involving Teslas while autopilot was enabled. Five of them fatal. Yeah. yeah. I,
0: you know, it's I, like
1: you do not have all the facts about all these. Some of them are still being investigated. I get it. But like how much of that would you say is like recklessness or ambition being valued above safety? And how much is just unavoidable reality of, hey, deploying new technology not to be really not to be uh, insensitive, but, you know, you got to got to break a few eggs to make an omelet kind of thinking.
0: So this is a, a really important and and complex topic that's at the heart of 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 what this technology and and the businesses that are trying to develop it um, are, are all about. Right. Um, safety is clearly one of the the main potential benefits of this technology. But, you know until it's fully validated you know yeah it, it's, it's it's not even it's not even that they're not as, it's we don't know right until you can yeah. until, right until you know you don't know and and i think there's it's it's very easy to to kind of reason about things and and it's good it's 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 fascinating to have conversations about what may be more likely to happen and and what may be less but but at the end of the day you know these these companies have to validate it and and i think the question of trust is is a really interesting one because it's really at the heart of this technology. And I think, you know, particularly so so you mentioned autopilot crashes, right? So that's driver mm-hmm. assistance. In each one of those crashes, legally speaking, the driver was completely responsible, you know? So so that is a fundamental difference. And and you know, when people say you know when people get confused about this stuff, there's a couple of you know kind of uh you know little tests to sort of say like is it autonomous or 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 isn't it right? And ultimately, if if there's a human behind the wheel who's legally responsible for for whatever happens to that vehicle, it's not autonomous, right? It's not autonomous until the auto or the, the developer or the operator of that system takes responsibility for it. Now, legal lib, I'm not a lawyer, so I won't go to I want the the term legal liability is is big and fraught and like you know but I'll say I'll say like conceptually right either the the developer takes responsibility for the system's actions or you do right And, and I think that's the really clear line that people have to be super super unambiguous about. And and so with those autopilot crashes, arguably, you know, because ultimately legally it's it's the person behind the wheels Fault or responsibility, you know, I think fundamentally you think of those crashes as some form of a human factors problem because what was happening was that the automation was clearly like they were not staying engaged, right? right. They were not doing their part. And I think it's easy to blame those people behind those steering wheels right? because you say,, oh, it's a car and they say you're driving yourself. like of course, it's your fault. and right. and again, legally, there's no ambiguity about it. Tesla says this is your car you know, you're driving, you're responsible but i think the complexity here comes in when you look at all of this research that shows you like it's not about being a good driver or a bad driver or like you know a morally good person or or not like every single human we just innately stop paying attention when things become automated past a certain right, point right as
1: you were saying before absolutely right so so it's, it's almost a, a, an unintentional trap in a way a, an unintentional mental trap plus you have different failure modes too you know if you, it's it's not a situation where every one of these for example tesla autopilot crashes is the situation with the the truck that the car ca- can't tell is not the sky and the car just runs into the truck. You know, you have these uncommanded braking actions sometimes. You have things that the driver could not reasonably expect to happen. They just happen and even if they're ready, even if they're exercising due diligence and being responsible drivers, the the car is, you know, still randomly wants
0: to kill them for 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 no reason. That's well, and, and- wild. Yeah. And in the, in the case of, of the crashes you mentioned, uh, there were two of them into, into semi trucks specifically. But almost all of these, these autopilot involved crashes, you know, the ones that have been investigated, we know like the, the driver, if the driver had been paying attention, the very first one, I think it was like seven to 10 seconds that, Oof. that he had clear line of sight of the truck that he eventually, that the vehicle eventually crashed directly into. Okay. And so I think that is a good illustration of, you know, these systems fundamentally you know and 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 by the way also <laughs> there's research that shows that if you tell people that this system is more automated than it is that they're going to be even more inattentive oh, and again, sure. it, this this comes down to trust right and and so you have a human there and you tell the human this is self driving or or close enough to self driving or 90% of self driving or whatever else they're going to, they are more likely to treat it that way. AAA, uh, Foundation for Auto Safety Research, they did this amazing study where they they put people behind the wheel of Cadillac Super Cruise. Mm -hmm. But they told one of the groups, this is called, you know, drive assist or something, and it's an assistive system. And I told another group, this is called like Autono Driver or something. And it's basically, you know, autonomous. And guess what? That second group used it less safely. They were more inattentive, even though, you know, in both of those presentations, they said, "Oh, by the way, there's fine print. You're you're technically in control of all of that."
1: Right, but it, it ends up being a messaging thing. It, it regardless, it it ends up being how you perceive it in a totally unintended way. And I get that. And we're dancing around it already. So let's 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 talk about it. Can we talk about Tesla for a second? Let's. Yeah, absolutely. In your book, you recall that that Elon Musk told Tesla shareholders that by 2015, they would have a car that could drive from freeway on ramp to freeway off-ramp on autopilot. Uh, in 2016, I remember this, because I was covering Tesla at the time, he heavily implied the Model 3 would have full self-driving capability when it launched, and basically repeated or, or even expanded on that claim basically every year since then. Obviously, none of that has planned out, uh, according to plan. Most recently, TechCrunch reported that Tesla is actually removing sensors from its cars, not because it's giving up on self-driving, but because Tesla believes it can do full self-driving And I guess we didn't outline the levels before, but that would be level five self-driving, right? Just no human required at any point in the process from origin to destination, right? You just sit there, the car takes you. So
0: level – yeah, so level five, Tesla is is what – they're the only people who are are saying they can do that. Level five and level four are both no human intervention at all. The difference is that level four is – uh geofenced. So as we were saying before uh, there's a lim- level 4 means there's a limited chessboard, right? playing right. board, right? And and that limit can be one parking lot or it can be one city or it can be one county or Got whatever. It. level like 5 you where you want. the world level is five, the chessboard. Anywhere that a human is going to is going to drive, that system has to be able to to drive there.
1: So Tesla believes it can do full self-driving with cameras alone. Level mm. 5 with cameras alone. My question is simple, what the hell is going on with Tesla? That does not seem feasible to me. If yeah. other, if no one's been able to figure it out with a, a ton of other sensors, Tesla's leaning really hard into optical only. And I don't have an axe to ground with Tesla. I don't think you do either. It's just a very confusing stance to take, given what I understand about the field.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's a really important thing because I think Tesla's unfortunately, I, I think what they're doing is wrong. Um, and I think that one of the ways it's wrong is that, it, you know, they kind of have been pushing a lot of misinformation mm. uh, and it's really unfortunate when someone... Like Elon Musk, who not only has the biggest platform, you know, basically of anybody at this point, <laughs> yeah. uh, but in particular, right, who who has this credibility as a scientist or as a man of science at least, um, that he pushes such misleading information is really, is really disturbing. Mm. So so we've been talking about sort of, you know, some some of the factors around this, around this technology that are really important. And and one of them is, you know, making sure that your 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 game board is not too big, right? right. That, that you have, you're able to constrain an operating domain that you can have a high level of certainty that everything, all the weirdness and randomness that you're going to see in there is still not as weird and random as all the weirdness and randomness in the entire world. Right. Right. right? And, and, um, and the other is that that you have sensors that that provide you a really good sense, like you have a high level of confidence that everything that you need to be able to see on your chessboard, that that you're seeing it. So these are two really important factors. And when you look at what Tesla is doing, what they're saying is that a their ch- their game board is the entire world, right? And mm-hmm. b that that they can do it instead of using lidar and radar and cameras and and having all this overlapping redundancy and and diversity in their sensor suite that they can do it with just cameras alone. And like it's it's very frustrating because it violates i think the the sort of most fundamental thing that people need to understand about this technology which is which is what we've been talking about that it that it is automation that it's more like robots than cars and and I, you know it, it's frustrating as, as someone who, you know, talks to people in the sector. And I hear people, you know, brilliant people who worked on the DARPA challenges and they're so frustrated because no one wants to to pick a fight with Elon, right? right? No one wants to be in that position. But at the same time, you know, this work that they, this technology they've helped, you know, develop and, and really create in, in, in some of these cases, you know, he's out misrepresenting it. Mm. And um, it's, it's just unfortunate. And the reason he's getting away with it also ties back to I think something we've been talking about, which is that Elon Musk is selling what people imagine in their heads when they when they hear the word self driving car. Yes, and it's because instead of building a mental model like we've been discussing, where we think of autonomous vehicles as being more like robots and more like a, a spectrum of automation and 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 that way of thinking about it. When you say self-driving car, people hear the word car first. That's the that's the point of familiarity, right? Cuz who knows what self-driving self-driving, I mean, right like 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 the details of that technology. That's why we're having this this conversation, right? It's 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 a fascinating but like difficult to understand thing. The car part is easy, and what people don't do is they don't think about the fact that a car fundamentally as a consumer anyway, it's something that we own and it's something that that takes us anywhere we want to go. Mm -hmm. And I think those two things, right, the cost of the sensors that you need to do this safely, all those LiDAR, all those radar, all those cameras, and by the way, also just the need to like constantly be calibrating and making sure these very complex systems, the technology is not at a point where we can really own all that. Like the cost is prohibitive and also just the maintenance and everything is, is, is not something that a normal human wants to to have to deal with.
1: Is that conceivably part of the reason that Tesla wants to take these additional sensors off? Just for- Oh, just, 100%. Yeah, just to, yeah, yeah. for better margins and to reduce complexity?
0: No, because it's the only way to make this technology work in their business model. Hmm. They sell cars, hmm. and so they have they have no choice. If they want to sell you self-driving, they have to make it cheap enough that you look at it that it doesn't cost literally more than the car. If you took if you took a hardware suite off of Waymo and put it on a Tesla, it, it, the the hardware alone i am just guessing here but it would be about as much if not more than 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 most teslas <laughs>
1: jeez all right and so so is it possible to do what tesla says it can do is it possible no, to use no. only cameras and AI to, to make a level five self-driving car.
0: So so is it possible, right? Like, like when you talk <laughs> about possibilities, yeah. you have to be fair and say, like, in theory, it could be done, right? There is no there's not anything that we necessarily know that, like, makes us positive that it, it absolutely could not be done. And so we have to say, yes, it's possible. But does that justify six years of taking, you know, ten, you know, ten thousand dollars or more from from lots and lots of people with the promise? Because. What Elon's selling is a specific promise. It's mm-hmm. this car that you buy now is going to operate camera-only level five. Like,
1: Right, we're going to do it with a software update. It's the thing you already own. If, as long as you pay that extra 10K, we're going to give you a software download in the future that'll enable this, right?
0: Yeah, and I think people have been a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Tesla critics out there, and I think uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, I wrote a whole book that that is considered fairly critical of Tesla. Mm-hmm. Um, I really... Shy away from using the word fraud or scam or whatever up to the point of I think, full self-driving. I think at that point, it, it it is, to me, a pretty unambiguous scam. But I think there's a little bit of history, too, that's really worth knowing because, you know, back in 2013, when Google was just about to start showing this car and sort of come out and, and talk a little bit publicly about the development they were doing, and we didn't find out about this until years later, um, Elon, Tesla was once again in financial trouble Elon went to his buddies Larry and Sergey, the 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 founders uh, of of Google, and basically negotiated a handshake deal with them that where they would buy Tesla. All right. And up to this point, he'd never talked about autopilot or self driving or any of this technology. Tesla had always been just purely an electric vehicle company. And then all of a sudden, he has this handshake deal. There's a lot of 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 maneuvering going on here. But if you remember in the first quarter of 2013, this is when Tesla stocks started going crazy. And basically they borrowed money and paid off their government loan and the stock started going crazy. Elon didn't need this deal with Google to save the company anymore. And so he walked away from it. And that was the point at which he started talking about About self-driving. And to me, it's of course, you know, the high-level negotiations between Elon and Sergey and Larry, like no one's no one's talking to reporters about what those conversations (laughs) were like. But it's very obvious to me that he got some kind of glimpse of what of what Google was doing. Now, here's the really interesting part. Up to that point, up until just months before this, Google had been working towards deploying their first product which was a level two driver assistance system called Autopilot.
1: Based on LiDAR. Uh,
0: they were using LiDAR. They were using a, a number, you know, a, 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 a sort of we call a rich sensor suite, not just this camera only approach that, that Tesla's doing, but they called it Autopilot with a capital A and a capital P. <laughs> Got it. Right. And and they did this test. They called it the, I think they called it the the Larry 1K. Uh, Larry Page had set this challenge, do a thousand miles around California and all these different domains with this level two driver assistance system. You know, so they proved like this thing can it's sort of like when you see autopilot or even full self driving today. You know, it was in downtown San Francisco on Lombard Street in 2009. Jeez, you I have no idea. Yeah, and and most people don't, and <laughs> and so and so they had this thing called autopilot. But over the course of 2012, so right in the lead up to this negotiations with Elon, they decided to start testing it. They they'd they'd uh, testing it. Uh, um, with their employees. It's called dogfooding, where mm-hmm. yeah. they've done the the sort of initial validation, which was that Larry 1K. And then they said, okay, we want to get just normal Google employees, not necessarily even engineers, to start using the system on their commute. And we're going to see what it's like for consumer, you know, regular people to actually use it. And what they found was precisely what we found with Autopilot and and a number of other things, which is that they people just did not pay attention. Right. People were putting on makeup. People were eating food. People pulled out laptops. Oh, right? yeah. Yep. And, and so what's so what's fascinating is that, is that and to me, this is just, you know, the how the narrative just very clearly looks. Elon saw this, he was worried, like everyone else, right as soon as they found out what Google was up to, that oh my God, these guys are gonna blow, you know, this technology is gonna blow every car company out of the water. EVs are gonna be the old trend, AVs are gonna be the new thing. And Autonomous he, vehicles, AVs. It, yeah. Autonomous vehicles, yeah. And and so he literally, and, and Google at this point had decided we're not going to take autopilot to market because we are worried about this human factor safety issue. Sure. We are worried that humans, no matter how many times we tell them they have to pay attention, they just don't. And what what... Tesla did was they developed they didn't steal the technology they developed their own version of this right right? pointedly not
1: based on lidar they went optical right
0: yep and they used Mobileye as a partner Israeli company computer vision pioneers um, and and for their initial version of it what they didn't do was add the driver monitoring they did not he had to have known why Google right clearly he knew Google had this this system called autopilot he must have known why they didn't bring it to market which were these safety concerns and what I think is really troubling is that. When When Tesla decided, okay, they won't bring it to market, but we will, they did not add more of those driver monitoring and other kinds of safeguards, which went on to contribute to deaths.
1: You're talking about the could the driver monitoring stuff like the camera that looks at you and makes sure you you the driver have a gaze that is looking out the windshield and not down at something, making sure you're not falling asleep, making sure yeah. your hands are on the wheel et cetera
0: and 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 this is and and so when you talk about so so I think it was it started very cynically. Hmm. Right. Tesla basically saying this company, we know that they could have brought this out and they chose not to for for safety issues. And we're just going to bring out the same thing and not try and address those safety issues. That's a cynical place to start your relationship with this technology. Yeah. And they've kind of been building on that ever since. And I think one of the things that, that people have not realized because they have this narrative that, you know, we have this system and all these cars and, you know, it's just going to steadily improve. And right. and also right now, you know, there's not – people are saying, well, full self-driving beta has been out for maybe a week now, I think, in wide release. People aren't crashing and dying everywhere. And what people need to understand is that this incremental approach where you just add more automation and more automation and more automation until eventually at one at some point it's just you've automated all of the driving, That that the danger, the risks of that come late in the game. Because right hmm. now, if you get behind the wheel and you activate full self-driving beta, no one's going to trust that with their life. Like, it's bad enough. You're that right. you,
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely it's, not.
0: It's scary. And and what happens is because right now, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to th- make up numbers here, but say it's making a mistake every two miles, right? Or, or somewhere you know, a human has to come and, and take over every two miles, three miles, whatever it might be. The risks start to really kick in when it's one mistake every 100 miles, mm. or one, one mistake every thousand miles, mm-hmm. right? Because think about it as a driver, you know, if something, if your job is to sit there and babysit a system, if it's making a mistake every five minutes, that's easy because you know, like you just never let it be. You never stop watching that kid or that robot or whatever it is, right? Right. Um, but when it when all of a sudden you can go three hours without a problem, well, you might turn on the TV. You might look at your phone. You might be doing something else. And then when the bad thing happens, you know, so so I think that approach is really fundamentally flawed mm-hmm. uh, and especially because until you reach that point of of true autonomy, what's the benefit? You have this system that forces you to keep your eyes on the road. So what? You, you're saving calories by not moving the steering wheel? Like, <laughs> like the benefit is just not there.
1: No, it, it, it really does diminish very quickly once you have to pay really any attention to what's going on. You're absolutely right. But And yet, isn't it ironic that I, I feel like we're having these conversations in no small part because of Tesla? Like, Tesla is a master at, at hype. I think you could argue that Musk is as well. Um, and I would not have been paying attention to this if, if some, forgive me, dusty old automaker from 1925 was talking about driver assist features. Would I have paid attention to it in 2016? Probably not. Everyone was talking about Tesla. I went to a driver meetup by accident because it was down the road from where I lived at the time. And I was like, oh, wow, these things are pretty cool. EVs, yeah, but, whoa, this autopilot thing sounds wild. Like, it's it's ironic that arguably, uh, maybe not arguably, the most dangerous implementation of, of this kind of this version of ADAS is the one that woke everyone up to the possibility that we might have this in our lifetimes.
0: It's, yeah. It's no, I mean, <laughs> it, it is absolutely. And, and I'll say for myself, I mean, I, you know, did not set out to cover Tesla as much as I did. And, and I will say like it, it for me, it was how I transitioned from being a traditional auto industry kind of reporter and analyst to to now in the the sort of mobility technology space. It, 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 this is why the story matters. And this is one of my frustrations about Tesla is that it's become such a debate about is are they, are they, you know, perfect and saving the world or are they evil and it's all a fraud. And for me, it's like the value of this this company and their story is that you know when when a pioneer goes out ahead, they're not gonna do everything right, right? And they're not always gonna win, right? If you if you're on course. the cutting edge, that means you're gonna do some things well and you're gonna do some things not well. And the value of Tesla is that they went out ahead in front of everyone else and they learned a lot and, and that we all need to learn a lot because, yes, on the one hand, they really popularized this technology, but also like people have died as a yeah. result of this. And, and I think, you know, it's really important to say, you know, you also you mentioned this. You have to break some eggs to to make an uh, omelet, right, to make yeah. an omelet. And this is a, a, a theme that comes up a lot in, in the AV sector. And I think Tesla and the Uber crash are both really important when you talk about this because, you know, first of all, there's no guarantee that sacrificing lives will actually lead to something that saves lives. Hmm. You know what I mean? That that you know that that's the pitch. But I think also, you know, when it comes to Tesla, one of the things that's really disturbing because they're the the people who are sort of saying this the loudest, right? That like. Yeah. Maybe we're taking more risks, but like, you know, this is going to be this life-saving thing. And Elon has even said, you know, if you're criticizing this technology, you're killing people, which is a very, you know, aggressive way to frame this. (laughs) Yes, it is. But I think if you look at the autopilot safety statistics that Tesla publishes, I mean, they've been debunked now because – and, and I don't want to, without getting into statistical analysis right. too much. Basically he's saying, you know, here's, you know, all the miles driven on autopilot, here's all the miles driven by human. We're safer, without adjusting for well, what kind of roads were you driving on? And what were the age of those human drivers? Right. And what were some of the other things that everybody else who does safety road safety statistics normalizes yeah. for? When you normalize for them, there's no there's no safety benefit to autopilot. And yet everyone, yeah. he's convinced everyone that there's a safety benefit to it, which, again, gets people to overtrust it,
1: which feeds back into the same vicious cycle. Right.
0: And, and so if he's saying, you know, real people have died, which they have, and yeah. these have been investigated thoroughly by, by by the NTSB, and they found Tesla made design choices that contributed to those deaths and Tesla's response is, yeah, but, you know, there's a safety benefit when they're lying about the safety benefits. That's disturbing. And, and the thing I say to my friends in the AV sector when they make this argument is, You might be right. This might be a situation in which, you know, human lives have to be sacrificed in in order for there to be some really fundamental uh, safety improvements. But, you know, there's also a lot of ways we could be improving auto safety that don't require anybody to die. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to be sensitive to that. And I think, you know, the AV sector has not done itself a lot of favors by by presenting this argument because they're kind of saying, you know, you know, we, we like... They, they, there's not a lot of self-awareness around the fact that you know if you really just care about safety, you're not gonna you're not gonna um, you know swing for the fences and say like oh well maybe people will die but you know maybe there's this huge benefit. You take step by step, data-driven right. you know measures to right. like fix the known safety issues, and that this whole argument is really off-putting for people who are serious about about safety because you know, it's a principle for them. And it seems like the AV sector, even though I know the people in the AV sector really do care about safety and it is what motivates them, it makes it seem like they're just sort of instrumentalizing that issue. And especially for people who've lost loved ones, hmm. uh, you know, to road traffic or whatever, I think you have to be more careful about that than than some in the AV space have been.
1: I think you are right. I wanna get off Tesla just because I wanna ask another question before I run out of time to do it. And this is an interesting one to me. It's not safety related, we'll take a little turn here. GM says that it considers the global autonomous vehicle industry an $8 trillion market opportunity, which is a crazy number. Uh, and that's why it keeps investing heavily in Cruise, which it bought, what, in 2016? Um, but meanwhile, Ford, as you mentioned earlier, just announced it's winding down Argo AI, which was its big autonomous driving play. Why? These are both giant companies, obviously. They both, but they're taking polar opposite approaches.
0: Why is that? Do you think? Well, there, there's probably a lot of factors. Um, you know, I think one is uh, so at, at Argo, which was the the company that Ford had was sort of the main investor, and in, they also had a partner, Volkswagen, in that company. And I think when you have two major automakers partnering, historically, that those relationships <laughs> are are difficult, right? Yeah, um, sure. I think that may have been a factor uh, here. I don't have like a, a lot of super inside information, but I think that right. may have been a factor. But look, I think um, you know we're at a turning point. So, so what happened? You know, after. Silicon Valley venture capitalists freaked out about Google and their work with this technology. And they started funding these startups and inflating them. You know, they did. A lot of them got sold to the automakers. And they got sold under this sort of premise that like, hey, this technology is going to hit some point at, you know, at some point where it totally disrupts your business. And I think, you know, basically every major automaker bought that argument or was worried enough about it to put a lot of money into this technology. Mm -hmm. And I think now there's sort of a turning point of you know do you you know do do you sort of continue to invest in this at a strategic level or do you focus on your core business and so i think one of the things you know when i first started writing about the auto industry it was in 2008 and and you know you had companies going bankrupt left and right including right. gm and chrysler right Yep. And Ford was the only American car company that didn't. And it was because a year before in 2007 they or six, they, they basically mortgaged everything they had, including their logo. They literally mortgaged their logo to Jeez. raise as much cash as they could to get through this this, this downturn. Downturns are what kill car companies. Uh-huh. And so I think Ford is a car company that over 100 years of, of survival, they've just learned to make really hard choices, even if they think strategically it might not be the right one. If they just know if we don't survive this downturn, then the strategy doesn't matter. Uh-huh. Right. And I think GM doesn't have the same tradition with that that Ford does.
1: So it's a corporate culture difference, really, based on different experiences over the years.
0: Yeah, but I but I also think that, you know, as we enter sort of this next chapter in the life of this technology, I think we're actually going to see it sort of either separate away from the car business or or kind of split apart into the chunks that that make sense with the car business and the chunks that make more sense as robotics. Hmm. And so and I actually think you know one of the big investors uh, in this technology that's not an automaker is Amazon. And I think to me that's a really interesting example of the kind of investor that I think has a real long-term uh, strategic interest in this technology. They don't have to take this technology and make it fit an existing car business, which is really hard. Because right, how do you get a lidar cheap enough to get it onto a car? How do you get a bunch of lidar and radar and cameras and all these things? How do you right. get someone to buy a car that's more expensive but maybe you know it, it only drives itself in their city? You know, these are not, these are, there's a lot of consumer adoption related challenges of of making this technology really work in the car business. But I think for an Amazon, you know, again, you, you think about robots, Amazon's been been automating its, you know, warehouses for, for years now, right, with Kiva Robotics. And, and it's such a natural step for them to start saying, hey, we've got these semi-trucks that drive back and forth between this warehouse and this distribution center all the time. It moves millions of of dollars worth of goods every trip. There's a lot of value, you know, to hire a new experienced truck driver, you know, that starts at a hundred thousand dollars now, you know, even then it's getting scarce. Well, let's automate that truck line. Let's find the parts of our logistical network, which is huge and basically consume this autonomous vehicle technology ourselves, like we're the, you know, they're both Mm -hmm. the investor in it, but I think potentially the customer for it.
1: Every time it's, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but really what I wish is that I was a little more qualified to talk about this because the more technology like this like self-driving cars, I talk about, and you bring up Amazon, which of course makes me think of delivery drones, even, and you know, it makes me think of all the of all the jobs that are not going to be there anymore. Just like the old McDonald's example of, oh, if we automate the fryer, then we can get rid of these very expensive human employees. And it's going to be really interesting to see what um, new economy arises. Uh, I, for the second episode in a row, I'll remind people I'm a Star Trek fan, and there's a potential future out there where nobody needs a job, but you can have a job if you want it. But really. There's not enough to go around, so uh, you know it's it's going to be a whole different podcast where we talk about what that potential future utopia looks like, and I'd love to think about what I would do if I didn't have a job, but I don't think I would like it because I like my job anyway. Uh... <laughs> Just to, if I can riff
0: <laughs> on that for a second, the, yeah, sure. the, to, and it goes kind of full circle to to the theme we've been talking about here about mm, automation versus cars, because right, if you think of of the industrial revolution and and mm. every everything that you could. You think of of an example where a human doing a job was replaced by a machine of some kind. It's always looked kind of roughly the same in that it starts with the hardest jobs, the dirtiest jobs, the most dangerous jobs, the ones that humans don't like to or want to do, Right, long haul trucking. Is like a good example of this. People don't want to do this. That's why they have to pay people so much money? It's 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 a terrible job if you want to have a family, you know, mm-hmm. which a lot of people do. And and you know, you think about so so Caterpillar for 10 years now has had autonomous driving trucks in the middle of nowhere, uh driving to and from their minds. These are giant, these are like you know, trucks Monster the size of a, a house, small house. right? Yeah. Yeah. And they're out on a road in the middle of the desert in Australia. And they've been doing it for 10 years making money because, again, it's that constrained domain. There's no traffic. It's high value. And it's jobs that people don't want to do. Right. And so I think, you know, hmm. the way to be optimistic about these futures and, and you know, of course, we don't none of us know what the future is going to be. and And, you know, we hope that it's good. And we hope that everyone who's building the future, you know, is really thinking about, you know, how they're building what they're building so that the future really is good. But I think historically, that's the pattern of automation. Machines tend to take the jobs that we don't want, that right. we're worse at, that are repetitive, that are hard on our bodies, that take us away from our families, those sorts of things. And I think, you know, some kinds of driving are like that. Um, and I think those are the places where we're going to see this technology start. And that I think the kind of driving, the very, very last pieces are the kinds of driving that we just do because we want, you know what I mean? We've, Absolutely. It, where we actually enjoy driving. And, and I think those are also some of the most hard ones to automate in a lot of ways, because oftentimes it'll be driving up to go skiing or out into mm-hmm. the, you know, I love to go camping out in the desert in my truck and things like that. Right. Um. And And, you know, those are the things that humans do well as it is, and we don't need something to come along and fix that. But hopefully, you know, some of these really hard jobs that involve driving Are ones that we can automate and allow people to then sort of move up and 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 do things that that allow us to to leverage our human strengths and not just try and compete with robots on the things that robots are better at
1: speaking of this will be my last question to you if you had to guess within your lifetime within my lifetime are we going to see a level five capable self-driving car offered to consumers i'm
0: i'm very skeptical I, I don't think so. But I also think that, you know, with a number of technologies, autonomous is just one of them. I think with battery electric technology as well, we are entering the end of a, a chapter in our relationship with mobility. I think the last hundred years, you know, we've become very used to the way ways of getting around that are enabled by gas-powered privately owned vehicles. And there's a lot of great strengths to them. They've got a lot of superpowers, but both electric and autonomous vehicles have a lot of different superpowers um, and, and aren't as good at the things that that, that gas cars are, are really good at. And so I think we have a very fundamental shift in our relationship with mobility coming. And my hope is that we can lean into this idea that sometimes it's going to be, uh, you know best to jump on an e-bike. Sometimes it's be best to get a ride from a, a robo taxi. Sometimes it, it might be best to, you know, take a autonomous sleeper bus or something. Um and I think we're going to need to get used to consuming mobility more uh intentionally and more consciously instead of just always going to our car to solve all of our mobility Uh, uh, issues because that car is is it does that well. And we're used to that. And that's easy. But it's also very inefficient in a lot of different ways. And it it really constrains us. And so for me, you know, moving into a better future is really about embracing a new relationship to mobility and consuming mobility consciously instead of just always getting in the car and always just having that solve all our problems. And so hopefully we won't need a level five self-driving car that consumers can own because we will be able to to go on this journey and 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 really sort of enter a new sort of Cambrian explosion of new diverse ways of getting around.
1: A thoughtful answer from someone who's thought about this a lot. Ed, thank you very much for your time, for your well-devised thinking on this. Uh, Folks, once again, the book is ludicrous: The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors, and the podcast is The Autocast. Ed, once again, really, really appreciate you for coming on.
0: Thanks, my pleasure, it was a lot of fun.
1: And so it is, as it always tends to be. The sober, rational take is that we'll be in this in-between zone for a while with increasing numbers of specialized self-driving vehicles, the big fishes in umpteen small ponds across the world. The dawn, the dream of full autonomy still seems quite a ways off. Probably a good thing if that future looks like that of the firebomb Johnny cabs, but I can't help but feel a little sad when I think that the actual Lexus of 2054 might not quite measure up to those of Minority Report. Still. If San Francisco and Phoenix can have robot taxis, then I gotta believe that sooner rather than later, they'll be coming to cities like mine, New York. If you have thoughts on the current state of self driving or the future of same, please feel free to tweet them to me. I'm at Captain Two Phones. And thanks once again to Ed Niedermeyer for his energetic insights. His book is Ludicrous The Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors, and he can be found tweeting as well at Twittermeyer. Until next time, thanks once more to my sponsor, MediaTek, and thanks to you for listening. I've been Michael Fisher, and I'll see you in the future.